62% of people in the world have a false view of what God said is true regarding human sexuality. 80% of our young adults who are unmarried engage in sexually active relationships. 57% of people who would call themselves a follower of Christ say that sex outside of marriage is accepted. 62% of people in the world, 54% of people who call themselves Christians believe homosexuality is an accepted lifestyle in the eyes of God. 65% of people that get abortions, of young ladies who get abortions claim to be Christian. Relative truth versus absolute truth. What is truth? 58% of people claim that all moral truth is relative. That means each person should figure it out for themselves. Unfortunately, 46% of people who sit in church every Sunday call themselves followers of Christ believe the same thing, that truth is relative. If you look for who stands on absolute truth anymore, the truth of God's word, when you look at the age group of over 30 years of age, only 45% believe that God's word is absolute truth for everyone. If you go down for those under 30 years of age, it drops to 31% believe God's truth is absolute for everyone. If you go to our teenagers, it drops to 9%. 91% of teenagers don't believe in absolute truth. Why? What is truth? Is truth relative? Is that where we're at? Were we wrong for centuries in claiming God's truth to be absolute? Is this the new way? Is this the best way? Are we smarter than thousands of years of people before us? What is absolute truth versus re relative truth? Why is absolute truth losing ground? Even amongst the church. Guys, it doesn't take much time to look around if you're a true follower of Christ and realize that we're not the home team anymore. We're getting booed. Football's getting started. Figure it'd be a, a great Sunday to kind of theme it around the football season, whatnot, college football getting ready to get started next, next Saturday and all. And they'll eventually have bowl games. And they mean something, especially once you get to those big ones. Well, guys, I want to tell you today that church, we're in a bowl game. But it's not just for a trophy. It's not just for temporary worldly accolades. It's an eternity bowl. And where we stand and where you stand and where others stand on this issue that we're going to talk about today, relative truth versus absolute truth, will mold and shape their heart, their life, their family, our schools, our government, our culture, and everything we do from here on out. 
And if we lose this battle, if the world loses this battle, which they are, we just pointed out, there's consequences. Eternity's at stake. And we're no longer the home team if you're a follower of Christ. If you're one of the few who still believe on absolute truth, you should be getting booed. You will, you'll see away teams run out into a stadium next Saturday. And because they're wearing the other color jersey, they'll get booed. They'll get booed from the time they drive in the parking lot and run out the tunnel onto the field until they leave the stadium. They will not be popular, they will not be accepted, and they will not be cheered for because they stand for something different than the home team. Church today, if you're a follower of Christ and you stand on his word and you speak the truth even in love, like what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks, you will get booed. I will get booed. So what does that mean? Where does that leave us? Unfortunately, what we're seeing as we read these statistics is what we're seeing is a lot of people change their definition. You see, if you're a follower of Christ, your definition of life, marriage, gender, culture will be unpopular. But what we're seeing is many sway to the other side because they want to be affirmed by the culture. And they're giving up on what Christ says is true, on what Christ says is how we should live our life and what will give us a full and abundant life and, and allow us to miss out on the destruction and the pain that the world and a life of sin will cause people in a society that turns their back and their heart away from God. God wants us to miss all that. But so many people are swaying even in the church. You see, because when you're not the home team, the only way to not get booed is to change your jersey. And too many people are changing their jersey and still trying to say, I'm a Christian. Is that true? What does God's word say? Because remember, we're in something that has a battle with eternity at stake. Relative truth versus absolute truth. And it's not a game. So let us pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. Father, because it never returns void. Lord, you're going to speak today because your word is going to be presented, not mine. I want to hide behind your cross. I don't want anybody to see me, hear me, know my name. I don't care. I am not important. Father, you are and your words are important. So I pray that you would move. I pray that you would move your church. I pray that you would move everybody at the sound of my voice online. I pray there's thousands listening today, Lord, that, that you have brought online to hear this message. Lord, because we need a recall to truth even in the church. So, Father, I pray you would speak and we would be doers of your word and not hearers only. Lord, that you would give us the strength that we don't have. You would give us the forgiveness, the redemption, and the restoration that we need as sinners, Lord, to do and be who you've called us to be in this world because we cannot do it apart from you. So, Lord, we put our trust, our faith, our hope in you and hope the world and as many as can follow before the final buzzer sounds. Lord, we give you praise for what you're about to do and who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so our passage today I want to start with is going to be in Colossians. 
So turn with me if you have a copy of God's Word to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 4 through 10 right here. And here's Paul speaking to the church at Corinth, and he's got a message that kind of coincides a lot with what we're going to talk about today. That's why the Lord led me this to, to read this for us up front. So Colossians chapter 2, we're going to read verses 4 through 10. The Word of God says this. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Where did we just hear that before? Jesus, Matthew 24. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. There's your first point right there. Stand strong in your faith in Christ. Don't be deceived with persuasive words and stand strong in your faith. Verse 6, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So don't be deceived. Stand in your faith and walk according to his word. Verse 7, staying rooted, built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. It's beautiful. Continue to grow. Build yourself up in the faith. Grow in the midst of it, even amongst the, the words that are pointing a different direction. Continue to grow in Christ and the truth of his word. Verse 8, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. According to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of God, of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. You got it. Church, there's a call to stand, not be deceived, to grow in the faith. All of these calls, and then at the end, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy, empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. What is that? That's relative truth. Don't be deceived by the spinning, twisting, changing culture of the world that's now trying to deviate away from Christ and his word. We must stand strong. We can't have larger majority percentages of people that call themselves Christians saying that this is not true anymore for everybody. We can't. You cannot separate yourself from Jesus and his word. It's not choose one or the other. And it's not cafeteria-style Christianity where you flip through here and you agree with some things but not others. That's not a follower of Christ. That's the one who Jesus said in Matthew 24 is not going to endure to the end because they're missing some stuff. They think they got it, but they don't. There's a lot of people in the church like that. We just read those statistics, and it's so unfortunate that people somehow believe that they can trust and know Jesus and claim to be him and not put faith and trust in all of his word. Oh, they like the red letters. And then they say, well, if Jesus didn't say it in the red letters, then it just ain't needed right now. Where do you get that? From the twisting of the world, deceptive philosophy, that's where you get it. Because I'm going to show you in God's word that that's not true. So let's look. Because we see there's a bondage inside the church and even outside. 
in how we think. There's a monster brainwashing by the culture going on toward the church on how we should think on certain topics. So I believe if God were here today, how he came to Moses and he said, man, I want you to go free my people. I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go because they're in bondage, they're in slavery. I believe he would come here today and he would call out, let my people think. Set my people free to think clearly outside of the world and in the truth of my word. That's what he would say because we're in bondage. We're enslaved by the culture. Make no mistake, we're in slavery. The statistics just show it. We're bonded by the culture and by an evil enemy, not a person, not flesh and blood. We're bonded by an enemy behind the scenes who wants to deceive. Be careful no one deceives you. First sign of the end of the age. Deception will be all over. And we're right in it. Relative truth has overcome biblical truth and moral truth in a lot of ways. And the symptoms we see are manifested in moral issues, unfortunately. We'll talk about a lot about what the Bible has to say about many of those as we go through the few weeks. But I'm going to be honest with you. If you're not solid on what we're talking about today, absolute truth versus relative truth, the rest of this series is going to mean nothing to you. Nothing. Because everything we're going to say is what God's word has to say about the issues we face today. And if you don't believe this word is absolute truth, then you might as well not come. You might as well stay on your knees and really pray for God to change your heart so that then you could come and hear the word and not run out the back of the church when I preach it the next few weeks. This word is true. It's all true or it's none true. That is the truth of God's word. Because God loves us, and he is not coming to condemn or bash. That's not it, and that's not what we're doing, and that's not what this series is about. We are here to present the truth in love, and this series is more than anything else, a call to authentic, true followers of Christ to stand strong on the word of God and to come back to the knowledge and the faith and believe and know that God's word is true. So then we can therefore speak the truth in love everything that we're gonna talk about the next few weeks. We need to understand that the real problem behind this is not the issues we face, it's like an iceberg, and we see the symptoms on the top, but really the problem is everything underneath, and everything underneath is pride, rebellion, doubt, indulgence. Everything that Satan did when he rebelled against God in heaven and was cast out and tried to deceive and divide and took a third of the angels with him. All the deception and the deceit, the rebellion, the pride, and the indulgence of the flesh and creating doubt in the heart of believers. That's how we got to Adam and Eve. Did God really say, ah, take this, you'd be like God. Relative truth, not absolute truth, your truth. That's what's gonna make you happy. And that's where we are today. Francis Schaeffer said, biblical orthodoxy without compassion is surely the ugliest thing in the world. What does that mean? So that means as we stand on the truth, church of Jesus Christ, we have to do it in compassion and love. We have to. Banging people over the head with the Bible and condemning them is not going to draw them to Christ. You will be speaking truth, but you have to bring the love in with it. And we're going to talk about what that looks like a little bit, especially over the next few weeks. 
So many people find themselves in a situation where they believe in God, they love God, they start to grow in God, and then one day either they go to school or they're they're faced with situations in their work or or people in their family with relative truth and questions about the faith that they can't answer, so we start to doubt. And because we start to doubt, we start to say, well, 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 maybe you're right. Well, well, you know, and you start to take off that, that absolute truth jersey and, and you start to put on a little bit of that relative truth jersey. And maybe it's not even on every subject. Maybe it's just on a few things. You'd be like, yeah, I see, you know, 99% of this is okay. But these couple little things here, I can see where they, they changed. Really? Taking off the jersey, putting on the other jersey so you don't get booed. Where did this start? Where did this shift come about? We know that as we went through the 1300s, we were in the dark ages, the middle ages, where what the Bible said and what the church taught started to really not jive. And and a lot of even churches at the time would, would preach something contrary to God's word. Then we moved in and overlapped through the Renaissance period which is basically the 1300s to the 1700s, and it, and it caused this rebirth period, is what it's called, and humanism started to take hold, where a, a belief in man and, and, and the reasoning and all that. Outside, inside of that, some people came back to Christ in the Reformation period, in a return to the Bible and truth. As we move through the 1600s and 1700s, the overlap again occurred with this age of enlightenment, where now it was, after humanism, man is good, and it was a utopia, and, and human reasonings really started to take foothold. Where, hey, if, if human reasoning and our experience made more sense than what the Bible said, then human reasoning trumped God's word. If I experience and I feel something different than what this says, then what I feel and experience is true, no longer what you or anybody else says. So we saw that period take place, 1700s to the 1800s, we entered the industrial revolution. We're now with man at the center and reason and the authority, now we can be self-sufficient with all the, the accomplishments that man made and, and technology and industry and wealth. And so now, you have this complete separation. You have man at the center, human reasoning at the center, and now we can take care of ourselves, God. We don't need you for nothing. And you see where this really started to shift slowly over time. But then as we talked about last week, over the past 60 to 70 years, although that shift had been somewhat gradual for thousands of years, if you kind of mapped it out on a graph, it's hit around the 1960s, if you will, and just gone like this. And then once you hit the, the 2000s, this is what we've done. Fallen off a cliff. Quick. Every major empire in the world has experienced what we're experiencing, a shift in morality, a, a shift away from godliness, away from morality in the family, and the core unit. And, and all that's happened before, but never at the rate at which this nation has done it fast heading for a fall. So in this series, we're not telling everybody about what's wrong and what you're doing wrong. You need to do this. You should do that. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. That's not what this is about. This is not condemnation. This is not Bible thumping. This is a call back for the church, first and foremost, to truth. And then inside of that, as we speak truth, I pray God will do what only he can do through his spirit and through his word and convict hearts and lives for people to repent and get their lives right with God. I pray that's a big part of it. 
But my call as a pastor, when I see the statistics like we just read at the beginning, is to call the church of Jesus Christ back to truth. Because we need it. Because we've lost our ability to think spiritually. So if you ask anyone today what is truth, you're going to get an interesting conversation, right? I mean, especially if you ask it on a secular university campus, maybe even at Liberty, I don't know. What is truth? What is it? So let's go back to the starting point and let's answer the question, what is truth? Because that needs to be defined before we do anything else over the next few weeks. One of the most profound and really eternally significant questions in the Bible, what is truth, was asked by an unbeliever named Pilate, the man who handed Jesus over to be crucified. After he had asked Jesus who he was, what he was doing, he said, I've come to the world to testify to the truth. And then Pilate said these words in a very condescending way, rhetorical question, what is truth? What is truth? And here, 2,000 years later, the whole world breathes Pilate's cynicism. What is truth? Is truth subjective? Is it an individual world of preference and opinion? Is it a collective judgment? Is it a product of cultural census or personal experience? What is truth? Simple definition, really, in a, if you gave a synopsis of what the Bible teaches, that truth is that which is consistent with the mind, will, character, glory, the being, and the word of God. That's what is truth. So truth is the self-expression of God through his person, through his attributes, and through his word, and through his spirit in our lives. That is truth. So truth is basically ontological. Ontological is a, basically the science of what is, what truly is. It's a fancy way of saying it's the way things really are. It's truth. It's absolute truth. Old Testament, we know, refers to God as, as a God of truth. You can see that in Deuteronomy 32, Psalm 31, Isaiah 65, many other places. It calls God as truth. Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the truth. So what was that? He's there making a very profound claim that he is God, that he is deity. There we go. Absolute truth, gravity. We're going to talk about that in a little bit too. So there it is. God calling himself as truth. His word is truth. Jesus said, I am truth. Hebrews 1. Basically, the brightness of God's glory is expressed in the image of his person in Christ. Colossians chapter 1 says Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, that he is God in the flesh, that he is truth. So therefore, you cannot separate Jesus from the entire word of God. Can we hear that today? Jesus' words then are not just the red letters in your New Testament is what that means, church. So many people are getting caught up. Well, Jesus didn't speak specifically about this. Jesus didn't speak about this. Jesus didn't speak about this. His word did. 
And he is there from the beginning. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Hey, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us in verse 14. He is his Word. All of it. Get off the philosophical garbage that if the red words don't say it, it doesn't mean anything. And we see what Colossians is talking about. Don't be pulled away by philosophy and the things of the world and false teaching. You'll hear pastors get up and say, I've heard them get on TV and say, well, Jesus didn't specifically address it, so it must not be something we need to talk about. Woo! It was everything I had not to jump through the TV screen and grab that dude by the neck. You pulpit pansy. Man, the truth is incarnate. The person of Jesus that came lived the perfect life because he is God and died on the cross that we could have forgiveness of our sin, that we could be set free from all the snares and the, and the chains of sin. Jesus said that the written word of God is truth. Let's look at that. John 17, 17. Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. There's some red letters for you. Your word is truth. And that's how we are sanctified. That's how we are set apart. That's how we are led by the Spirit to live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. That's it. It's all about God and his truth. First Peter chapter 1 says that, that the word of God is eternal truth, which lives and abides forever. It never changes. God himself said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I never change. My word never changed. It is truth. So why is the church deviating from this? Because the culture is pulling us away. That's why. God's word didn't change. It's very clear through his word. So you can't have a difference of opinion between the Word of God, Scripture, and the incarnate Word of God, which is Jesus. They're both the same. They're both truth. Colossians chapter 3 later even calls Scripture the Word of Christ. All Scripture, the Word of Christ. Guys, there is no separation a lot of people love the idea of the grace and mercy of Jesus, but then want to separate that, that Jesus and make a, a God, a lowercase g God of their own out of it, and separate him from his word so that they can live a lifestyle that is pleasing to them because truth is this relative stuff. I'll, I'll believe in this because I love all this grace, mercy, hope, and love stuff. Man, give me all that. Hype the plate full on that, but I don't want any of this stuff over here can't do that. Jesus is his word, and his word is truth. You take all of him or none of him. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, Jesus said to the Jews that received him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples indeed. Oh, no, he didn't. He did. If you're truly a follower of Christ, you will abide in my word. Legalism? Nope. 
because he knows a true follower of Christ has repented, has received the spirit of God, and has the power of God, therefore, in them to lead them a different direction. It doesn't mean we're always perfect. It doesn't mean we don't mess up. But it means that we're heading a different direction, and it's God's direction, and no longer the ways of the world. That's the beauty of Christianity, guys. It's the power of Christ in us. We're saved through faith. And we're led to sanctification through the power of his spirit in us. Otherwise, all our righteous acts are filthy rags to him. You can do all the do's and don'ts that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. You can do them, do them, do them. I'm, I'm, I'm doing them, I'm doing them, I'm doing them. And if you don't have Christ in your life and you're not led by the spirit in it, then it means nothing to God. You can be a really good moral person and go straight to hell. You can It's precisely how Paul was putting it in Romans chapter 1, 21 and 22. He says, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And oh, how many people live on the intellectual status of the day. We're wise now. We're smart. We know what this says. If you're not following it, the Bible says in your wisdom, you just became a fool. Worldly wisdom is foolishness to God. Foolishness. It's an absolute truth. We know is God's word in Christ, all of it, not some of it, not parts of it, all of it. You take all of it or you're truly not his disciple. Let me say that again. You take all of it and receive all of it and believe all of it or you are not his disciple. You've created a God for yourself, a false God that you are worshiping and it's not the God of the Bible. So absolute truth is this and Jesus and God and his spirit, the opposite of it is false. Anything that comes against it is false. It's not to be received, thought about, even entertained any farther. It's to be, eh, I hear you, but this is what God says. Why? Why? Because he wants to be a bad God and, and, and make, us, make you miss out on what you think is going to feel good and, and make you have fun in your life? No, because he knows the pain and the destruction that will come not only in this life from a lifestyle of sin, but in the eternity spent separated from him because of it. And he loves us too much to see people go through this. So we need as a church to be the embodiment of his truth. And do we, like we talked about last week, need to be his ambassadors, his representatives in this world. And uphold the absolute truth of Christ. But see, we live in a world today that may look at my shirt and be like, I don't think that shirt's great. I think it's, I think it's white. I, th I, think, I think that's hot pink. And then they would say, who are you to say I'm wrong? Well, because there's like an absolute color list going on like in the spectrum. I, mean, I don't know, you know what I'm saying? But that's where we're at. Where people can change and believe what they want and then we're supposed to accept and go along with it and say, well, if that's what you believe, you're okay. When you're mentally been deceived. Go back to this phone dropping a bit ago, gravity. You can say, I don't believe in gravity. 
but it is an absolute truth. If I hold this phone out right here, and I might say, I really like this phone, and I really don't want its screen to break, so I'm not going to believe in gravity when I drop it, so therefore it's not going to fall. And it fell anyway. And that's a pretty good case right there. If y'all need a UAG case that, you know, dropped this thing a thousand times and ain't broke yet. But the point is, I can, I can believe against an absolute truth, but that doesn't mean the consequences of that truth will still not take place. Does that make sense? So church, we can try to change, but that don't mean there won't be consequences for you and the people around you who you've deceived and led astray by changing jerseys to get acceptance. And see, here's the problem. We act like the world acts like we don't trust and know and believe in absolute truth of any kind. But then in so many ways, we embrace absolute truth in a lot of areas. And you say, Brad, what are you talking about? We embrace absolute truth every time you go and lay down on a surgery table and expect a doctor to open you up and perform a surgery. You hope that he believes in the absolute truth of what he studied in anatomy and physiology, don't you? Then he's like, ah, this art, it won't matter if I clip this little thing right here. What's this? I don't know. Clip, boop, boop. We'll cut this out, remove it. Absolute truth. There is absolute truth right there. You go to the gas station every week. You believe in absolute truth that it requires gasoline to run your gasoline engine and diesel to run your diesel truck. But somebody might say, ah, oh, that's relative. I can put some gas in my diesel truck. It's cheaper, man. You know what I'm saying? Fill this bad boy up. What are you talking about? And you wonder why it froze up four miles down the road. Why can't you put water in it? Who's to say I need gasoline and fuel in to run this thing? Well, put me some water in there. Go ahead. But yet we don't embrace absolute truth in other areas and say that everything's relative, especially when you start talking about the meaning and the existence of life. When does life start? What's right and wrong? Why do I exist? What is this life for? We start to say, oh, that's relative. But God said it's not. And then people come at you, well, who are you to judge me? You'll even hear that inside the church. That's a popular one. Don't judge me. You're a sinner too. Yes, I am. And before I go and help my brother, I need to get the plank out of my eye. I need to be just as upset over my sin as I am somebody else's sin. And that's been a big problem in the church the past ages. We get so offended by how somebody else sins, but not how we sin. And if you take that stance, you better humble yourselves and pray and get right, or you have no right to try to go help your brother, Jesus said. Get the plank out of your own eye first, then you can go help your brother. Because the Bible also says, those, who have, those of you who are religious, restore those in gentleness and meekness, and it calls us, man, if we bring a brother out of a sin, man, it, it overcovers a lot of sin. That's God's word, that we are to come and confront each other as we've deviated off the truth. The person that has the stance, don't judge me, has the mindset of relative truth that they want to live a lifestyle outside of God's word and what they know to be true, and they don't want to hear anybody that says anything else about it. But we have to have the right stance in our heart first. Be very burdened 
over our own sin more than others. It's wisdom. We know wisdom is two parts. It's knowledge and understanding. Knowledge is the what. Understanding is the why. You can have knowledge and not have wisdom. You can have the facts but not follow them and never be wise. A lot of people just want to say, look at Jesus and man, I just want him to be a genie in a bottle and a, a cosmic vending machine that just makes my life work the way I want it to. It makes me feel comfortable. It makes me feel good so I can have my Jesus and my sin too. And I can have the best of both worlds and I never have to repent and I never have to feel guilty about it. And I can feel like I can have this freedom in Christ to live like I want and do as I please and live like the world and live for myself and live for the culture and get cheered on the whole time. And I'm going to have a great life. And what do you mean depart from me? What do you mean you never knew me? Jesus, what you need to hear through this series, it's not condemnation, not judgment, not Bible thumping. You just need to hear about what breaks God's heart and why God sent his son to the cross so that you and I could be free. After Jesus said, if you're Truly, my disciples, you'll abide in my word. In 30, verse 32 of chapter 8 of John, he says, because you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There's the heart of God. He wants you to be free from the painful consequences of sin and the destruction because he knows, John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life and give it to the full. Will you follow my word? Will you stand on my truth? Will you abide in my ways? And then you won't have to worry about some of the consequences on this earth that follow. And you definitely won't have to worry about the eternal consequences that are to come. You can forego the wrath and the judgment of God through the blood of Jesus, the all-saving lamb of God who was slain for the world. And he wants to give you life and he wants to set you free and he wants you to stop chasing the world and to stop believing the world in false philosophy and false religion and pulpit pansy pastors who preach a fluff gospel. And he wants you to hear the truth of God's word as maybe convicting as it may be at the time. And he wants you to say, yes, God, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I've fallen short of your glory and I want to follow you in your ways. That's what he wants. That's what his call is. And it breaks his heart when it's deviated, especially in the church. <laughs> Why? All this pluralistic thought and relative truth and everything's right and but yet on so many spots, man, even in our private lives, people that still believe in pluralism, relative truth, man, when it comes down to their private response to their own truth, it's absolute for them. You come against them, man, that's, that's not relative no more because it's my truth. And because we all draw the line somewhere, we get offended and wounded when somebody comes out against what we perceive as true. But we need to realize truth is not subjective. It's not an outdated, irrelevant concept. Truth is an expression of God in his word. And it's clearly defined and laid out for us in the person of Christ, in the attributes of God, truth of his word, and the manifestation of his spirit in our lives. It's the proof, it's the evidence of his truth. When the spirit is manifested through a heart and a life that's surrendered and repentant to God. God wants to set you free. 
But we know that there's a truth as we close in Galatians 6. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. You know this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. God has provided a way out. A way out to set you free through his blood and through his spirit. He doesn't want you to be in the bondage of people pleasing anymore, feeling like you gotta switch your jersey. He wants you to be free from that and free to exist in the absolute truth of his word. He doesn't want you to be free anymore he doesn't want you to be bonded anymore, rather, in anxiety, in fear, in depression. He doesn't want you to be bonded in addictions. He doesn't want you to be bonded in, in debt, in materialism. He doesn't want you to be bonded in, in sexual immorality, in, in a deceived mind from the culture. He wants to set you free. What more beautiful truth is that? So what type of things today as we close have maybe you've been deceived by? Maybe you've fallen into some worldly patterns in your own life and trying to justify them. Maybe not with your words, you wouldn't do that with your words, but maybe your actions are saying, what I believe and what I do is right and who are you to say anything against me? When and where and how are you modeling truth? Moms, dads, grandparents, kids at school on the ball field. How are you modeling truth? How are you thinking different than the world? Or have you been swayed to think like them so you don't feel the resistance? How does your life look different and reflect Christ? What areas in your life do you maybe need to say yes to the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's word and let him prune the limbs off the tree of your life and your heart that aren't producing for him? Pruning is painful at the time, but it produces a harvest, it produces new growth, it produces new life. Do you hear that message out of God's word today? There's no condemnation here, none whatsoever but an offer to be set free, to hear truth, to stand on truth, and to love others in that truth. Because if we truly say we love somebody, we will be willing to present them with truth. If you say you love somebody and you knew they were dying of cancer and the type of cancer that they had, you had previously in your life and, and you had experienced healing through this certain treatment, through this certain medication, how much would you not love them to not tell them about the treatment that you receive that gave you life? Guys, that's it. It's coming along beside somebody. It's not standing across the street with a picket sign screaming, you're going to hell if you don't repent. There's no love in that. 
a lot of condemnation. But how about we cross the street, we go ahead and shake the person's hand and we learn their name. We ask them who they are and we hear their story. And inside of that, we present to them our story about how we were once in in sin in a different way, in a different life, and we were experiencing the pain of this world, but we heard this truth of Christ and, and He come and He changed our life and He set us free. And you say to them, I just wanna, I just wanna show you something that meant something to me and changed my life and gave me hope and, and gave me a new ways. And I just want you to hear it. And I just want you to know that I would love that if you have questions about it afterwards, I'd love to get with you some and talk on the phone or whatever and and would love to to answer any questions you have going forward. Why can't we do that? Because when we form a relationship and it gets personal, then the person knows that we care about them. And then inside of that, they see Christ in that. Even if they reject it, even if they they get offended and mad, say, I mean, I want to hear about that stuff. It's still they see the heart of Christ in how you just responded. That you weren't calling names. That you weren't getting angry. That you brought light to a situation instead of heat. And that's what I'm praying we can do for the next few weeks. Because God's got some truth to share. So that his people can recall, be recalled back to the truth. And so that others can hear the truth and be set free. made some intolerant statements I'm the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me that's absolute truth that's not many ways I'm the way the truth the life no one comes to the father except through me it's absolute so he's either Lord or liar and there's no in between so guys let's become a church that thinks again thinks according to the scripture, not according to the culture, not according to the world that's deviating away from absolute truth and embracing relative truth. Let's be a church that thinks on ultimate truth that heals, restores, and gives life. Not condemn anyone, but lovingly come alongside somebody and point them on a different direction that gives life. We're the visiting team, it's gonna be uphill. But that's how it's supposed to be. If you read your Bible, that's how it was gonna be. It's God's plan being fulfilled right before our eyes. Church, we're living in it. We're living in Bible prophecy right here. You're seeing it. The Bible said that in the end days, people would be lovers of themselves and not lovers of God. They would have a form of godliness but they'll deny its power. That they would not tolerate sound doctrine anymore and they would run to the teachers that tickle their ears. There would come a time where, and there would be a time, and there was even back then where Jesus said that there's the praise of me on their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus said there would come a time when we would be persecuted for the faith. All those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, all, A-double-L. 
Jesus said there would come a time where we would feel like we're foreigners living in a foreign land. We're here. So that means we're the visiting team. And get this. God called us to be the visiting team right now. And that's okay. Because we know that any sign of a good team is one that can win on the road. Give Jesus a big round of applause for that. When you're in the fourth quarter of a game, the coach and the team turns to the playmakers to make a play. a follower of Jesus Christ today. God has called you to be a playmaker. And he's looking to you. 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 Not just me. He's looking to all of us to make a play. To stand on his truth. To come alongside people that have an opposing view. To bring light and not heat so that people can at least hear the truth and not condemnation. So the Spirit of God can attempt to work on their life and they still may say no and they will still persecute you. That will happen. But then we can take glory when we're persecuted for the name of Christ in that way. Because we've done what we've been called to do and that's be salt and light. Everything that we've talked about last week. So this is the playbook. And it's not a time to get scared because it's the fourth quarter and the game's on the line. It's not a time to run onto the sideline and say, oh, well, I just want the pastors on the field right now, man. He says some scary stuff out there. I'm just gonna sit right here and cheer y'all on. It's not what God's called you to do. It's not the time to run back into the locker room and fear and be quiet and be silent. time to fall on your knees before a holy God. Pray and plead for his forgiveness and strength where you have fallen short and then to be a vessel with clean hands and a pure heart to go and engage the culture with truth so that you can make a play for Jesus in a world that so desperately needs it. It's absolute truth versus relative truth. And it's not a game. 